Happy New Year! New Year, so good to see you, Richard. Oh my God, it seems like it's been forever since you and I were last together. Really true, isn't it? <laughs> Times. Happened. I mean, the last time we were together, you and your wonderful husband Tom were about to go off on this amazing trip. Uh, how many countries did you go to? Um, this time we didn't go to quite as many countries this time as we have in previous years, mm -hmm. but we did. We were all over the Caribbean um, first. You know, we were in the Lesser Antilles, we were in the Dominican Republic, we were in Puerto Rico, we were in Vieques, we were in a bunch of places in the Caribbean. And then from there, we went to uh, Costa Rica and all over Costa Rica, which was amazing. And then from there, we went to uh, Mexico City and then uh, to a couple of other places in Mexico, Cancun and uh, Tulum and a couple of other places in Mexico. And just had a San Miguel de Allende, which I fell in love with. So we had a terrific time. And then we wound up in Cleveland seeing friends. <laughs> so how, how long were you gone altogether? Uh, about 10 and a half weeks. Wow, 10 and a half. I can't even imagine that. So it, it's, it's amazing. But I'm going to ask what will probably be a very silly question. But there's a reason I'm asking this question today. Was it as much fun planning the trip as it was being on the trip? They're both fun. You know, I mean, that, that's the truth, because when you're planning something, you have the anticipation, right? You're not exactly sure how it's going to work out. There's a little anxiety about what might happen, what might not happen. But and, you know, you get excited about it as you think about all the possibilities. And then the reality happens and reality has both incredible moments and things that happen that you didn't expect that may not be so incredible. Like We decided instead of flying between the Lesser Antilles, we would take ferries. We thought that, yeah, that would be fun. We'd take ferries and then you have to deal with airports. The ferries were awful. I mean, they were just oh, dreadful. <laughs> but, you know, you roll with it, right? Well, I'm asking this question because today we're going to be talking specifically about setting goals. And I am, first of all, the beginning of the new year is always exciting for me. It's exciting because of the possibilities that are ahead. Uh, it's literally saying I'm shutting the door on the things of this past year that I want to let go of. And I'm a real proponent of, I don't call it setting resolutions as much as setting intentions. That's what I call it, yeah. And once I set my intentions, I find that I have a pretty good track record of going after those things that I have uh, intended on achieving in the new year. Um, where do you stand when it comes to New Year's resolutions, intentions, setting goals at this time of year, or is that a part of your process? My process is setting intentions almost every day. Mm -hmm. um, because I do that at the before I do a yoga class, for instance, or in the morning when I give gratitude, I give gratitude every morning and I set my intention for the day. So it, it's it's an ongoing process. It's not just once a year. I think New Year's Re New Year's resolutions ha have their place in mm -hmm. that it gives you a, a, a focal point. Okay, it's a date, if you will, to start working on something. And then you might have other markers, other dates that are markers along the way. You know, next one might be Valentine's Day, for instance. Okay, am I still doing what I thought I was going to do or said I was going to do? Um, how, you know, how am I, you know, really honoring myself in terms of living up to the intentions that I set? And I think that's kind of how I look at it. 
Well, everything that you just said is the perfect setup for today's show because I have invited three of my favorite women in the world of cabaret and theater uh, who are here who really do uh, set goals and they go after their goals. Um, my our first guest, she's been on the show before, and that's my dear friend, Barbara Minkus. And Barbara Minkus, last year, she comes to New York and uh, she had a specific goal in mind for her one woman show, which is brilliant, everyone, all the booking people out there, it's still <laughs> available for booking. But she came to New York. Um, we went and saw the space that she wanted to do it in. And she said, Richard, this is exactly where I need to be with this show. And by God, she made it happen. So Barbara, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, I, I put it under my name. We're here in 2024 because it's such a great way to start your new year and to yeah. be with such positive people as both of you are. And I can't wait to meet the other ladies. Um, and yes, last year was uh, was really special. Richard, it was special because you were part of it well, for me. You. Because when we went to look at the space at, at the York, I, I knew right away I wanted to do the show. I needed, I'm not sure if there, you know, I'd like to think that I'm going to continue doing my show, but what a wonderful way to come back to New York on my terms. Because mm -hmm. when I first came to New York and started on Broadway, it wasn't on my terms because life changed my terms when we opened the night that Martin Luther King was killed. That kind of changed everything. So for me to come back to New York uh, with what I needed, I needed to bring my musical director, I needed to bring my director, I needed to be, bring my lighting person, and I needed to bring my stage manager. Me, little Barbara Minkus, bringing <laughs> all of these people to New York. Thank God I had 400,000 miles <laughs> on my, uh, for, for free, free, you know, airfare. But mm -hmm. it was a dream come true. It really was. And then for me to have you there, on one of the performances was also a dream come through. Well, it was for me as well. Um, you bring something up that I want to go back and address. And you said that you were coming back on your terms. And even getting to Broadway, which was a goal of yours, uh, and making that happen. And uh, But as you said, uh, for those who don't know, and I'll let you tell the story, you open in a what was going to be slated to be a major Broadway show. It opened with Tom Bosley. You opened, and the night that you opened, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Right. So, and, and, and the cast didn't know. No, that, no. no. The um, only people that knew were the people that went out at intermission, you know, and found out. So the vibe, so to, you, so to speak, when the audience came back, it was a different audience. Of course, yeah. They, they were not happy. But and one of the themes of your show, the major theme of your show, um, 18 Minutes of Fame, is that you, you know, no matter what curveball was thrown your way, you got through it. You continue to go on with your life and other opportunities open, including meeting your wonderful husband that we all love. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell us how, what keeps you going? 
uh, when these um, things do come up that are unexpected, unplanned, and completely changed the trajectory of where everyone was going at that moment. Right. I'm not just going to be talking about that, but I will tell you that it the truth is for all of us, and I, I, I have to be honest, my middle name is honest, <laughs> mm-hmm. dealing with reality, that it you must feel the pain uh, or the loss mm-hmm. first. You cannot, you know, put it aside or put it inside and not deal with it because it will stay with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know for, for a lot of people forever. Mm-hmm. So I knew at an early age in my life, when, when I came to New York, even not knowing what I was doing, uh, just came to get a act for the playboy club. <laughs> and I was so not a playboy club kind of performer, but it gave me a chance to come to New York. I knew that this was going to be my my home, my my major home from Chicago. And when the, the sad part came when Hyman Kaplan closed, I knew that I had to mourn. It's very important. Mm-hmm. I did not know how my life was going to turn out. It turned out so beautiful. Like I mean, who I knew that after I mourned. I had to leave New York and start somewhere else new. Mm-hmm. I, I've never regretted that. I, I've never regretted that. And I came to Los Angeles and did Love American Style and lots of, you know, lots of shows uh, and, and had a blind date with my husband. And, and that changed my whole life. So it, it, being willing to, to have a new, like mm-hmm. 2024 is a new, it's very important, but it is also important to work through the loss or the, and also important uh, to feel the fear and do it anyway, you know, to recognize what is stopping you and finding a way to continue, even if it means that you're afraid, because we don't know what outcomes are. We can't, I, I don't know the outcome. I just know that it's important, whatever I do, that I, I can do it honestly. And, and if there's sadness involved to deal with the sadness, I don't have to share it with, you know, lots and lots of people. Cause I don't believe in that. I believe in working it through and with your, with God or a spiritual being that you believe in and, and finding a way to work it through. And, and that is probably What's happening right now in my life? Uh, Judy, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, I, I completely agree. It's important to be able to acknowledge our losses in order, I think, to really appreciate the good things that come uh, that come our way, you know, and to to, yeah. not, to also realize that 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 it's just part of the cycle of life. There there are wonderful things that happen, and there are terrible things that happen. Right, and that's life, you know. Yeah. So I, well, I, I want to mention that last night I watched this incredible documentary that I highly recommend to everyone, and it's called I Am Maxine's Baby, um, and it's about Tyler Perry, and he really came through a really rough childhood, uh, mm-hmm. rose to the absolute pinnacle that you could possibly reach in this business, um, but one thing that he said last night, and 
Jane Fonda also said this in her book, and I've never forgotten this, and it sticks with me, is there needs to be a statute of limitations mm -hmm. as to how long you hold on to this, and then you have to let it go and you have to move on. Yeah. And if you don't do that, um, you'll never be able to face the next thing that's behind the next door. But I wanna uh, bring on our next guest. Um, and before I bring on Sally, um, I wanna mention that, you know, the pandemic uh, turned our lives upside down, um, but there were some positives that came out of it. It brought Judy and me together to do this show. Uh, Barbara, you also did your own uh, show during the pandemic. And it also led Sally Darling to the work that she's done through the <laughs> pandemic. So Sally, welcome to the show. Thank and, you. Um, Sally, if you can talk a little bit about um, when the pandemic hit and you knew to keep yourself viable and in the spotlight, you created your own magic. And I love this. So if you can tell everyone about that. You mean the show, my my uh, Yeah, yes. Okay. I have always loved reading aloud. Uh, it began with my stepfather when he was very ill. At the cocktail hour, I would read aloud to him. Oh, so nice. then when I got back to New York, I investigated narrating books on tape. So I have a large background of tapes for the Library of Congress and for recorded books. Can and I interrupt I you for a moment? Yes. No one has heard To Kill a Mockingbird oh. until you've heard Sally's Phenomenal. It's my and Danny's. We listen to it like listening to an old radio program. Oh, Just yes. incredible. So, yes. I was in the green room um, and someone turned to me and said, Sally, you're from the South, aren't you? And I said, yes, I'm from Virginia. And he said, well, you know, over at Recording Books, they're casting for To Kill a Mockingbird. And I went, wait a minute. That's fine. <laughs> Because when I had read it years ago, it had hit me so deeply. And I thought, no way anybody else is going to record that. <laughs> and there were over, she had over a hundred tapes from women, and the, the uh, producers wanted, um, oh Lord, what's her name? Very Southern, very heavy, thick accent. And she said, no, this is the person. And so I got yeah, it. And I did it, and I'm very proud of it. Really, <laughs> you started doing these um, reading from these classic books um, on the internet, and your audience just grew and grew and grew with this. Absolutely, I think because well, I found a way in the pandemic to express myself online and to read. I started with bits of poetry, et cetera, et cetera, but I could read something every Wednesday night and people seem to really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So it's been, I mean, I've done several of the Jane Austen books completely. <laughs> and I've done, it's, it's, it's been, I, I just had my third year anniversary. Wow. What surprises you the most about what you've created from that? I think just the fact that it is so happily and gratefully received, you know, that, that people really enjoy being read to. It goes back to being a child and having mother read. 
You know, I think it, I think in many cases, that's what it evokes. But in any event, to lie there or sit there to be knitting or whatever and have someone reading to you. Well, it's interesting that you say that because on the 21st of December, uh, we had a winter solstice evening at our church. And I read The Christmas Memory by uh, Trima Capote. And it was the first time that I said it's 30 minute story. And I am proud to say that my entire audience was right there with me. Uh-huh. Uh, you could hear a pin drop. And it, it, it instilled in me the belief that, uh, that I could hold an audience's attention just from the written word for mm-hmm. half an hour. Mm-hmm. And going into a studio like you've done and being just alone in a booth, reading these stories, what is happening to you psychologically? Because you don't know who's hearing it, what the outcome will be. So where does that take you? And what is your preparation for? Well, now, of course, I do it from my home. I'm sitting here at my dining table with everything set up. And all I know is that I'm putting it out there. How it's received is not up to me. It's up to people listening. And so my only guide is if I get a response, if I get some response of we love this or whatever. But all I can do is do it. Do you do it's happily received. You do a chapter at like a chapter at a time or how how do you break it up? It it depends. I'm going by timing. Mm -hmm. I go for I'm aiming for 50 minutes, anywhere from 40 to 50 minutes. And so I, I look ahead and see, okay. Where's a logical place to stop there? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, I'll go a little further or I'll stop a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Because I've got my eye on the clock. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm going to bring on our next guest. Um, and she is a dear, dear uh, friend of mine and yours too, Sally. Um, and that, of course, is Meg Father. Oh. And Meg is going to be, look at the shows that she has lined up. These yes. are all shows that she's done. And she's bringing them back. Her Hammerstein Sondheim Carefully Taught show, uh, one of the best shows I've seen in cabaret. Uh, but here she is. Meg, welcome back to the show. Hello. This is a wonderful conversation. And my dear, dear Sally is on the TV here. <laughs> and my dear, dear Meg is joining us. <laughs> and, so, we, and we call each other Lizzie and Jane from Jane yes, Austen's Bride. We do Party. indeed. <laughs> this is my Jane. <laughs> my Lizzie. So, Meg, I mean, you've got all of these projects going on. I mean, obviously, they are all projects that you have presented before. But you made a decision that as the new year unfolds, that you're going to revisit all of these shows that you've done before. What was the impetus behind that? And what is your preparation in terms of prepping for all of these shows? Well, a lot of um, a lot of this goes to Lenny Watts, my director, because we were practicing in the brick room, um, and he said, "You know, you really ought to revisit some of the shows we created in the past because four times is not enough." And that's what you often do in our community. We do it four times and we move on. But also, I'm older, and things have happened. The world has changed. We've been through a pandemic, and I'd like to experience how being older helps me breathe new life into these pieces. 
because one of them is a story piece about women, women in work, women in love, women, mothers and daughters. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it celebrates a lot of really wonderful singer-songwriters that I came of age listening to. And I, I actually put that show together the year before my mother died. Mm. So to revisit it years later, as I'm mentoring others and I'm the older woman in the room now, I'm the mm. older woman in the room. So that's the back when we were beautiful show. And the outbound plane show was a show I wrote about necessary grief and necessary losses that lead us where we're supposed to go. And I feel like to be able to do that now after a pandemic, as we approach uh, an election year, um, that will be very rich for me. And then the Hammerstein and the Rogers and Hammerstein, just to keep those incredible songs going, just to keep those stories going, because um, I love those men so much. And, uh, and I also think, to be perfectly honest, a lot of this is also for me to just keep this exercising. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about dementia, Richard, you and I. And well, you know, one of my, I mean, my habits now, I mean, Danny and I, <laughs> every night we sit and we watch Jeopardy. I just want to make sure that my brain is still remembering all of Yes. <laughs> but you know, I never could play Jeopardy when I was young. So my well, whole thing is, <laughs> I'm going to do the things that were, I'm going to keep the things going that I could do when I was young. And I could always memorize and retain and deliver. So I'm trying to keep that going. But also um, with the added element of being in the moment, of taking our time, we calm down with age, we get better on stage with age, we are more experimental in the moment, we're not so rigid, uh, we really listen to our audience, we engage with our audience, we allow our audience to inform what we're singing, even if it's scripted. So I think I'm looking forward to seeing these older shows performed by a more relaxed Meg. And of course, I want to honor the Brick Room because the Brick Room at Don't Tell Mama saves our lives every day. It's a place where we can make music. It's affordable to make music. It's affordable for the customer. And I think that's a very important thing to celebrate. Well, you bring up an interesting point. And I'd like to, you know, I, I just pulled off the shelf again as I'm going back into the fold again to start doing uh, like, and I pulled off the shelf the Cabaret uh, Performer's Handbook. Uh, and I'm just reading this. And Bob Harrington, uh, who wrote this book in, uh, along with Sherry Eaker, uh, almost 35 years ago, um, one of the things that he was asked uh, in the book is how could he go to show after show after show? Um, he could be a movie critic or a TV critic, but there he is in the throes of live performance night after night after night. And he made an interesting point that jumped out at me that mm -hmm. those of us who were lucky enough to do what we do, um, we go into cabaret, not necessarily because we're looking for fame and fortune, no. but for <laughs> the sheer ability to create and it's interesting that you bring that up, and thank you for bringing that up. That thank God we have these rooms, oh, like the brick room, that will, give, so tight. that will give us uh, the chance uh, to uh, create our art. 
I'm going to go around with each of you, and I'm going to start with you, Judy. Um, you do what you do, and it's on a different level from what the rest of us do. But you also have a background in television. Right. And uh, so uh, when it comes to being able to present what you present, um, what is your process in terms of preparation? Uh, and I know it's very different with you on mm -hmm. a level different from what the rest of us do. But how do you prepare? Um, the first thing I do is really think about who I'm going to be talking to, right? And and who they are at their core, who they are. And I get to know them at their core. I mean, that's what I do, right? Um, and what what is it they need from me? That's what I'm, I'm, I'm working to, to provide for them. Do they need somebody who's really just going to sit there and listen to them? Do they need a, a lot more interaction? What are they dealing with? I know, you know, whatever things you know are, are currently on their mind and they're dealing with so you know where are they in that process um what have they thought about since the last time we talked uh what worked for them what didn't work for them so i'm bringing you know i'm really conceptualizing them as a, as an entity as a whole person uh, or as a couple if i'm dealing with a couple um and really you know thinking about what do they need from me today how can I be of best service today? That's, that's, so that's great. And I think that we're all doing that as artists as well it, it, when it comes to our audiences. Um, and I've mentioned this on the show before, but Carol Channing used to say that there are performers and there are entertainers. She said a seal is a performer. It's only interested in getting the fish. It's only interested in the reward. An entertainer, on the other hand, is focused on the audience and making sure that they are having the best time available. Now, I can honestly say from sitting in the audience of all of these women uh, that you're all in the latter category. You're uh -huh. all entertained. <laughs> uh, and I'm thoroughly entertained. Uh, but I want to ask you, starting, Barbara, what has changed within you uh, from when you first started out uh, and you were pursuing, whether it be nightclub work or theatrical work, to how you approach your work now? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, yeah. I think taking in what what Meg said, that we're the, you know, there's an older way of processing uh, what we're doing or what what we want to do. Um, when I did the uh, About Life, during, which was a YouTube series that I wrote, small stories with song, the song about the story, uh, that it just helped me connect with, with what I wanted to do. And what, even though it was on film, my husband was my videographer, um, I related to the audience. And I just closed in 70 Girls 70. And what I loved about doing that show, the Ida part, was that I had a connection with the audience. I love breaking the fourth wall. I love, but, and I don't know what it's, what it is. So I prepare for what the process, the project is, but I leave myself open to what happens with the audience. And it's a wonderful experience even though I went into the show after my friend had to leave uh, third week of rehearsal and there are two and a half weeks left oh my god 
how am I going to do this? And I have to tell you, I really bunkered in to learn this role. And I told the director, who I really admire that he accepted, my. I said, I cannot do this word for word, probably until the last weekend. <laughs> But I will never leave this uh, any other actor on stage uh, hanging. I will always have their whatever they need for their line. But I need to paraphrase until I only have two and a half weeks to learn this enormous role, even though I had my little problem with my foot that I fractured. Thank God you had a director who allowed you the freedom to do that. You know what? He did. And he was a genius. His name, he, he, I know he's a good friend of yours, but I have such admiration for Bruce Kimmel. Bruce Kimmel because yeah. he said, okay, Barbara, okay. And he let me do it. And he let you, he let you find yourself. He let me find myself because I could not possibly, as, as Meg, I admire that you can memorize so quickly, but I couldn't do it because this was such a big role and I only had two and a half weeks and I knew- I couldn't do that. I I focused- You can if you have to, yes. If I had to focus on that, I have to do it, I would- Uh, Sally, I I wanna ask you, Sally, excuse me, Barbara, did you finish? I'm sorry. Yeah, I did, I'm fine. Uh, uh, Sally, um, I have had the good fortune of seeing so many of your shows uh, also in the brick room at Don't Mama. Uh-huh. And what I love about what you, you do, Sally, is you have an arc of where you want to go with your storyline, but you have these incredible songs, some that we know, some that we are learning about for the first time, but you tie it all together with these incredible passages of quotes and everything that's putting everything together. It's an art in itself, just putting this together. Um, What has changed within you from the first time that you did your first cabaret show to let's say the last cabaret show that you did? Assurance. (laughs) I've done it now. I know how to do it. I know it will be received. I have complete confidence now that, all right, here's my latest, or here, here it is. And that make, that's a huge difference. At first you think, oh God, where am I? What am I doing? <laughs> well, one thing that I love about, if I may give away one of your secrets, yes, um, is how you plan your opening nights. Oh. Yes. Isn't it around the moon? What? Don't you do it around the moon? Yes, I do. I didn't know that. <laughs> See, I know I do my research. Wow, I'm impressed. I I book a room according to the, the uh, phases of the moon. And particularly, you want to go into the, the, the waxing of the moon. And hopefully, you plan your, your opening, etc., with full moon. Because then you're getting complete attention. Wow. Now there's the secret, ladies. <laughs> I'm blown away. I am absolutely. I, I, I mean, my family, Sally and I talk every week for hours, and I never knew this. <laughs> that is so fascinating. So, Meg, do so you have a, a plan when it comes to booking your shows? 
No, <laughs> no, no not, nearly as, not nearly as evolved as Sally, which is why she's very important to me. For me, it tends to be, um, you know, it's a schedule thing. It's making sure my, my Tracy Stark is available and she's a very, very busy, talented pianist, musical director. Um, but also because of my other hat in the world of brand being in a brand ambassador, um, they tend to never use me on a weekend. And so I've decided that Sunday is my day. Mm -hmm. I can, I'll always be able to, to sing and enjoy a show on a Sunday and never have uh, to get on a plane and sell cream. So <laughs> that's why I tend to use Sunday. So I decided Sunday's at four. And I like the feeling of a Sunday afternoon show. I just, uh, you're winding down the weekend. Maybe you've, maybe you've been out for brunch and you're walking around mm -hmm. Manhattan and, and you, you want to get home by seven, but you have some time at four. I feel like that's good. And as I get older, oh my gosh, I remember once doing shows at 9.30 at night. Midnight. Midnight. Oh, but you did not. Really? My first show that opened at Don't Tell Mama, I opened at midnight on November 5th. Oh, oh my God, Richard. And there were people there. Lots of people there. It was packed. Wow. It was a different world. I mean, we didn't have social media. People no, got out of their homes. They went out to see shows. Um, and so it was, you know, very much that. Um, Judy, I've got a question that I want to ask um, everyone again, but I'm going to see if you want to weigh in on anything that anyone has said before I go to my next question. Well, I think, you know, everybody's very on point in terms of really adapting what you do to the feedback you're getting. You know, you're not rigid in, in the way that you present whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so you read the audience, right? Uh, like yeah. I, my patients, you know, I don't, I don't come in with a set agenda. I see what, what, what transpires, what comes up and you go from there. So it's very similar in that way. Just really being in tune and not, um, not and listening and listening. Right. Yes. Um, I, a question for all of you and, uh, I'll start with you, Sally. Um, right. When you are planning a show, um, the moon aside, uh, <laughs> are you, uh, are you, uh, do you uh, make sure that you have the show completely set or do you set a date and then work towards that date? I usually have it completely set. Then I see when I can find a date to present it. Because if I have it set beforehand, there's plenty of time to then do whatever needs adjusting before you're up. I agree. Uh, well, that was gonna be the same question for you, Meg. I think for me, um, I I can tend to over-prepare, but I'd rather, but I, there's this expression um, that I love so much that I actually shared in the Hammerstein show, which is what Sondheim learned from Hammerstein, mm -hmm. um, that it's a tragedy to be ready and never called but it is more of a tragedy to be called and not ready absolutely and we've seen that with with people get a who get a break and then or who get an audition and then they can't manage the second audition that's so i'd rather be ready 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 and then drill it and drill it and drill it because i also want to have fun and i think for me for the first half of my life performing was fun but it was very um high stakes and frenetic pressure. and pressure and i you know yeah and i didn't feel like i even got to be there 
And now I really want to be there. I want to be there to experience the entire experience from where I stand. So you can be there and experience where you're sitting and we can be there together. And again, another thing that comes with age um, and not being in such a hurry, because I think when we're young, we're in such a hurry to Mm -hmm. to somewhere. And, and another great teacher in my life in dance class used to say speed kills. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Still does. (laughs) Margaret, the same question for you. Uh, I mean, do you, Make sure that you've got a completed project before you choose a date, or do you choose a date and then work towards that date? I mean, <laughs> 70 Girls 70 was an odd experience to be thrust into. Yeah, it was, but it was, I I, I gave them the way I could do it during, for the two and a half weeks that I had, and they accepted it, which made it half of the problem taken care of, because I wasn't uh, crazed. I, I could do what I could do. I even asked, you know, there's two enormous songs. One of them that this is called the elephant song, beautiful song and Kanderneb. And the other song is called yes, Mm -hmm. phenomenal song. Well, I knew that I could not get that completely, um, in my brain, uh, in that amount of time because it was with the whole script to learn uh, not to hang up the other actors i knew that i could not the last thing on the list were these two songs which would come at the end and the funny thing uh barbara excuse me for interrupting the first lyrics of the song is life keeps happening every day say yes (laughs) yes that's correct (laughs) so i knew that i had to have some kind of a book so i asked the director would he let me have for the first song, which I love, the elephant song, Ida's journal. Mm. And, and, and I have this journal on death because, you know, old people talk about death. But this is a, a death song, but not your, unusual, not your usual death song. And, and so uh, give me some death music. Mm-hmm. And so, then I sing the elephant song. But I have it written, even though I didn't really need to look at it. But I had that assurance that I didn't, it was too important. Those are important lyrics for both songs. And I did the same thing with Yes. It was a book that they gave me when I went to heaven. And Bruce said, I've got a great title for your book. It's called Life Lessons for Dead People. (laughs) (laughs) And the audience loved it. And that's how I got through Yes, that I knew I had those lyrics in front of me and by the last show i didn't need to read sure. them i knew it last weekend i knew them knew it but i just it was such a wonderful way to have something of assurance like knowing ahead of time what you're doing meg and mm-hmm. sally and then going with it and and having a good time mm-hmm. and, having, and listening which very taking care of yourself that's the other thing when you take care of yourself if you relax a little bit, then you're, the best of you can be there anyway. So just having that thoughtful prop prepared you to give yourself the best experience. I did that when you saw the show, by the way, you know, in the York, at the York Theater. I, I left a big piece out about Hyman Kaplan. But you went back, and I thought that it was intentional when I first saw it. And <laughs> oh, I I just, that was, but I, I thought it was brilliant the way that you handled it. <laughs> I want to ask you all about the... 
uh, the A word that both Sally and Barbara mentioned, and that is assurance. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal? Well, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but does um, uh, does um, what's the word I'm looking for just went out of my head? Um, uh, Self doubt. Does that ever come into the process as you're prepping for a show? And if so, how do you get through that? I'll start with you, Meg. Well, uh, absolutely, because um, especially with the when I took a, a turn from doing singer-songwriter music and really tackled the Rodgers and Hammerstein show in 2020, I was petrified. I knew I had to do it because I wanted to heal that part of me that walked away from theater but loved theater and grew up with that music. So the opportunity to do a show um, was a healing for me. And uh, but I was petrified. And Lenny, my director, was very aware of it. And he said, what are you doing? You're putting this music on such a pedestal like you don't deserve to sing it. So Uh, we had to work really hard for me to give myself permission to sing this music. But then through that specific work, um, it became my favorite music. And then it became very personal. But it took a while. I had to go through who am I to do this? to how am I gonna do this, to how does this tell my story and drill it and drill it and drill it. And then the positive about COVID is I had a year to run it and run it and run it and run it and run it. So by the time um, I did it, it was mine, but uh, I was petrified with those, those the two Hammerstein shows. Wow. And yeah. I think it's good to be petrified. I think it's good to be petrified. Um, Cause then you, you, meet, you meet yourself and then you have to overcome it. And then there's a sense of, of, of pride on the other side of it, you know? Uh, Judy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, do you ever deal, deal with self-doubt in your profession? And if so, how do you get through it? Absolutely. I, you know, uh, th- there are many times when I wonder if I'm really providing what this person really needs, if I'm really the best person you know, for them to be working with? Am I really giving them what they need? You know, are they growing? Are they changing? Um, you know, the, absolutely. But I think, you know, a lot of what Meg was talking about is is that kind of imposter syndrome that a lot of yes. people with, yes. you know? Yeah. And where, you know, it's, it's more than self-doubt. It's like, really? It, can I do this? You know, is it, you know, me? <laughs> you know, uh, who am I, right? You know, who am I to be doing this, right? Uh, and it takes, I think it takes maturity, among other things, to really get past that, to get to the point where mm-hmm. you have self-confidence and enough experience, positive experience, to be able to be that that self-aware and self-reliant um, and know that, yeah, you can do this. <laughs> you know, just at a point, one of the things that also came out of that was really for the first time, uh, leaning and trusting my teachers and list, and and realizing I wasn't alone, you know, because the challenge was so high, but I wasn't alone. And so I think it was really, really cool to learn that, that there was a whole team putting the show together with me. I wasn't by myself. Right. Well, and they weren't going to let me, they weren't going to let me get on that stage till I was ready. You're reading my mind. I'm going to give a shameless plug. That happens to us. That happens to us a lot. That happens to us a lot. (laughs) I'm about, as you all know, I'm about to do a new show. Barbara's coming to New York for it, which thrills me. Um, But, uh, you know, it's very interesting. Um, When I, I wanted to do a show for my birthday. 
And the show that is be- that is happening is not the show that I set out to do. It completely changed course. Um, I had reached out to James Beeman, if he happens to see this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant director. And, uh, and I said to James, I want to work with someone that I've never worked with before as a musical director, because I want to see if they will challenge me. And uh, I am looking for, this is the way I presented it, a Barry Manilow to my Bette Midler. Oh. Uh, I want someone who can bounce ideas off of me. And so I had a rehearsal uh, last week and Danny was in on the rehearsal and he was in tears afterwards because he felt that for the first time I am being truly supported mm. by a director and a musical director mm. on a level that I've never had before. Yeah. And that's the takeaway from any of the musical directors that I've worked with before, but a lot come in, they do the job that they're asked to do yes. and that's it. I mean, to get these ideas bouncing off of you. So I want to talk about one of my favorite words. We've gone from assurance to my C word, and that's collaboration. And Barbara, I want to, you mentioned earlier that when you came to New York, you wanted to do it on your terms. You had your team put together. Talk to us about the collaborative process and what that means to you. I think trusting, I get chills when you ask that question to me. I think trusting others is half of, that's life. Mm-hmm. Not just on the theater, in theater, the trusting the, all the things that could have gone wrong that I didn't know about that the that the they couldn't get the sound right or they couldn't get the you know there's a filming of my my life uh, and they couldn't get the film to work even with bringing all those people together they couldn't pull it off and the director who I just loved Susan Morgenstern said we're not going to tell Barbara this you know and it was like five minutes it's like the 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 old joke five minutes before the show started they finally got it working because the um, the person that was at the York who does all the sound came via telephone and, and helped them figure it out. Wow. So the whole thing was a collaboration. I never knew about it. Mm. Even this last show, the mo- 70 Girls 70, there were thir- 12 people that I had never worked with. I loved them, the other actors. They they couldn't have given me more support, and oh. I wanted to be there for them. It was just a work of collaboration wow. all the way, which makes me feel like Judy says that you have to listen to these people and be and be honest. You know, when you're a therapist, it's it's all therapy. Mm-hmm. It's all about being in the moment and trusting the people that you're working with as you've just found Richard with this new uh, musical director I can't wait to come in and see the show I'm so excited I am too I'm very excited uh Sally same question for you with a little twist on it um you also you and Matthew Ward have created alchemy together magic over the years um and what is your collaborative process in terms of how the two of you work? And, you know, as happens in this business, when I first started, uh, the best piece of advice that I got was from KT Sullivan, 
who said, have at least five people who know your show. So you're never at a loss. Obviously, I'm just starting with this new show. So hopefully he will be there for those moments when I need to take him on the road. But also from someone who used to go on the road a lot, um, sometimes the venue doesn't have the budget to bring in your team. Exactly. Um, tell us about your collaborative process. And if there's ever been a situation where you've had to shift gears in terms of who you were working with. Well, the shifting gears took place in uh, 2012 when uh, Paul Trueblood died. Oh, and I had, I had created, remember Paul? I love Paul. Exactly. And I had, got, I had created a number of shows with Paul and then suddenly Paul was no longer there. And Sidney Meyer, got in touch with me a week after Paul's death and said, now, you are not stopping. Here's a list of potential people for you. Try the, well, the first one was Matthew Martin Ward. Wow. It was just instant chemistry. I mean, just instant. <laughs> I will never forget. We had a delightful time going through my, my show that I was doing with, Matt, with uh, Paul, and he was so pleased with the quality of the music, with the quality of the program, and as we were leaving, he said, I like you. You're fun. Wow. And I love your choice. <laughs> Matthew Ward is a genius. Absolutely. And we have been a collaboration ever since. Now, if you go on the stage and there's nobody there and you're singing a cappella, it's going to be a little empty. Right. So you collaborate. And you collaborate first with your musical director. And then with anybody else, if you want a director, a music person. But it starts with you and your musical director. That's the initial collaboration. That's right. And yes. the essential one. And yeah. Meg, you also have an amazing team. I mean, working with Lenny, working with Tracy. Tracy. Um, but talk about your process in what happens in the rehearsal studio. And if there's ever been a situation in your own case where you also have to shift gears. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's all about, you know, the more you trust yourself, the more you learn how to communicate honestly and deal with friction and different opinions, the better you are as a collaborator. And I think because in the beginning of my adult life, I was such a pleaser and I was afraid that if I collaborated, I would get, I would become invisible. And I would lose my chance to speak. I would lose my chance to have an idea. So what I would do in the beginning is have it all set myself and then bring it into the team to polish. And that worked okay. That was fine. But then what was a great turning point was really creating with Lenny and Tracy. Yes. And, and trusting that I could disagree. Absolutely. And I could disagree. And, and then we could have an eh rehearsal and then we could have a great rehearsal. And going away and trying on their idea, going, they're actually right about this. Yes, exactly. And so that, that to me, um, is always so shocking that no matter how old we get, how old we get, we're still learning who we are. <laughs> and we still have things to grow and we still have things to know. So ultimately, it went from um, feeling like this is mine to embracing and feeling relieved that it wasn't totally mine. And that took time, that took time. Because in the old days, I mean, we've all had directors that were bullies, you know, uh, 
summer stock and regional theater and there wasn't a lot of time to develop things and you got scared you were going to be bad. So you had to take care of yourself. You had to kind of prepare so that no matter what the director was going to do, you were not going to make an ass of yourself. Right. right. And, and I saw that a lot in the commercial voiceover industrial world that I was in as an actress of just, you're working with these people one day, get ready. But now I realize I'm invested in the relationship and I trust the relationship and it's constantly evolving. You know, it's constantly evolving. But I did have to be very quick on my feet a long time ago in 1991 or two, I made my debut at the ballroom wow. with show portraits. And I was going to do a week of shows with my then musical director, Christian Daisy. And after the very first show, he realized he double booked himself. So um, yeah, that's Sebastian, everybody. Yes. <laughs> um, so I listened to a wonderful uh, director at the time. I don't know if you knew Helene Kelly, Richard. Remember? I Helene did. Kelly? I did. Absolutely. So, so she said, call Paul Greenwood, who I didn't know, oh. and had one rehearsal with Paul Greenwood, and he was fantastic. And it was a different kind of show, and it was really fun. So I also learned that that being thrown was really good for me. We're going to run out of time, but what I've done is just to shift gears on a fun note, I've got my four mystery questions, and I'm going to start with you, Judy. So pull a number one through four, and this is just for fun, and then we're, everybody's going to get a chance to have their final word of the day, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So Judy, pull a number one through four. Uh, four. And it says, what's something that you learned about yourself in the last three months? that you want to share with all of us? Um, that, that, <laughs> that I can do a lot. <laughs> um, that I'm, I'm, I'm more capable than I think I give myself credit for sometimes. Uh, when my husband broke his wrist in the middle of us moving and he'd been having some back problems before moving, so I did all the packing, all oh the unpacking right <laughs> you know at each end and was playing nurse and chauffeur because he couldn't drive to bottle washer that's it barbara same thing uh question one through uh one two or three two and your question is um when you pass on 25 plus years from now <laughs> what is the one thing that you want to be remembered for when it comes to your creativity? Wow, I'm gonna, I think that I was open to listening and investing in others and, and have, I really love people. I am a real people person. And I hope people remember that. I don't know if they're gonna remember my, singing. I'd like them to remember my stories and that I always look, I always look at life as half full. It, I have to get there first sometimes. Right. And I like what makes it, or someone said about it, it has to have mourning or sadness has to have stopping. You said it, Richard. Yeah. I think, I think that the fact that I do have a positive way about me is a real plus. It didn't come from being happy as a child. It came from 
being happy knowing other people and investing in others and collaboration. Absolutely. The word of the day, right? Yes. And collaboration. Great. Sally, one or two? Two. And, uh, and I guess that meant, you know, what's left for you. <laughs> so um, it, it says, identify, um, the question is, identify a cause of conflict in a relationship and take steps to resolve it. But I'm going to reword the question. Um, I want you uh, to tell us about a conflict that you dealt with when it comes to your creativity and how you resolved it. Well, that's difficult. That really is because I can't automatically think of a conflict. Um, I know there have been several times as an actress when a director has said, no, do it this way. And I thought, no, that is absolutely wrong. And sometimes I've been able to quietly, slowly, under the radar, change the approach mm. to, the, to, the, uh, to the role. Other times I've had to just stand up and say, this won't do. You'll have to get another actress because it's so wrong. I simply cannot do that. Good for you. Good for you. And uh, and be, believe it or not, Hollywood is built on those stories. Um, again, go and watch the documentary on Tyler Perry and oh. how many times this man was told no. And what I love, I'm going to say very quickly, his character, Medea. Yes. Happened. Spoiler, uh, because the actress scheduled to play the role did not show up. Oh, wonderful. And wow. <laughs> changed. That one moment changed his whole life. Right. So, Meg, this is the last question. Uh, would you rather win the lottery or live twice as long? Live twice as long. Good for you. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like um, from what I've read and heard about people that win the lottery, anything that happens that fast out of nowhere, I think there's a lot of uh, emotional baggage that comes with that. Yes. How do you trust the people in your life? How do you, uh, you know, but, or if I could win the lottery anonymously and then write a lot of checks to people, um, I think that's the, another cool way to be. But I would say I'd rather live, I'd rather live and uh, find Find out who I am and make the money myself. That's good. I love that. Grow my own roses is wonderful. Wonderful show. I've had such a good time meeting all of you. I know this uh, is wonderful. uh, Richard Skipper, man. Well, thank you you all. Uh, But I I want to give everyone a chance to have your final word. And Barbara, we'll start with you because I know that you have to run off. And then Sally, Meg, and Judy, you'll have the final word today. Uh, But I want to... Uh, James uh, pulled a song uh, for me to end the show with. And it's a song that was written for Hello Dolly, but that was cut. And the lyrics of the song are, Love, look in my window. Love, knock at my door. It's been a while since you've called on me. And he picked this song because of the message that I leave at the end of our shows. And I'm going to leave the same message that I do every time, but I hope that it's not lip service and that you all take this to heart. I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the eighth name on your list and reach out tonight with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. 
and let that person know the impact that they've made on your life. And by doing so, you're going to make an impact on their life. As my dear friend, Sean Moniger always says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your Mm -hmm. side. And with that, I'm leaving and I'm turning it over to you, Barbara. Well, I feel blessed that I have a skipper Mm -hmm. named Richard Mm -hmm. that has always been there for me. I think having friends that you, as you and Meg and Sally and, and even Judy, I look forward to being with you. I feel friendships are are wonderful and even getting new friends when when we are mature people older people that's just a terrific thing to have that joy of of meeting new people like i just did at the 70 girls 70 i didn't know anybody and it was just a joy so i think my message is for everyone out there we just listen and and enjoy Lovely. the joy enjoy Thank you, Barbara. Sally? For me, I tried being married. It didn't work. I'm too independent. But I found that trying to put love to one person was wrong for me. And if instead I just open that love to everybody I know, everybody I care about, then I am open for love in return and no hurt, no pain, no angst. And that was a huge recognition. So it took me off the he's got to be the one path mm-hmm. and let it let me open up to everyone and everything. And it's huge. Mm-hmm. It mattered. It changed my life. So there we are. <laughs> Being open to, to love of all. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Abs- just stay open to love in whatever form it comes into your life. It's love. Right. And that's what matters. It's love. Thank you. Meg? Well, I'm going to pick up on Sally's wisdom because I often do. Um, and for me, this is kind of piggybacking on what my one of my resolutions, intentions for the year was or is, is to, to go where the love is, to stop running after the car that doesn't stop, Stop banging on the door that says no. Stop trying to please the person that doesn't see you and go to where the love is because that's where you belong. That's lovely. Thank you, Meg. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. And we started today by talking about New Year's resolutions. And as both Richard and I said, we set intentions. And All of us want to be a better version of ourselves. We want to get healthier. We want to eat better, drink less, stop procrastinating, start meditating. But it's not about expecting and hoping and wishing. It's about the doing and the being and the becoming. But doing it with grace, with grace for our own imperfections and starting over again every time we fall down because sometimes we fall down. The real key is to make it a habit. And to do that, it has to be fun. You have to have a reward and it has to be easy to do. So listen to books on tape <laughs> or you know, work out at a Zumba class if you like to dance or keep unhealthy snacks or other things you're trying to keep out of the house in hard to reach places. You, your present circumstances don't determine where you can go. They only 
are where you can start. And as Albert Einstein once said, learn from yesterday, live for today, and hope for tomorrow. We'll see you in two weeks. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.